Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Hi, everyone. Brian Dobbins is one of Hollywood's most prolific managers and producers. He's co-president of Artist First Management Company. His list includes some of the most extraordinary talent in Hollywood. He works with major producers, directors, and actors, and is the executive producer of the award-winning show and JD's favorite show on television, Blackish, as well as the spinoffs Grownish and Mixedish, as well as many others. We are so honored and excited to have you today. Thank you, Brian. And welcome. So Brian, we want everybody to get to know you. You told us some great stories when we were together. So we were hoping to replicate some of that today. First of all, we want you to tell us a couple of your favorite memories growing up. I think one of my first favorite memories will not on the surface sound like a favorite memory, but it was um, it was definitely something that changed the course of my uh, childhood um, and helped me to start to dream a little. I, I broke my femur in my right leg when I was 12 years old. Um, and for people who don't know, it is the biggest bone in your body. Breaking it is a real thing. And when you're 12, they don't um, do what they would do as an adult, which is put a pin in your leg because um, the bone's still growing. When you're 12, they put you in traction for five weeks in the hospital. Wow. You then uh, come out, you uh, are put into, well, at least that's what it used to be. This is the 82. They put you in a body cast, which is, you know, comes halfway up your rib cage uh, or just under, just above your rib cage, halfway down your left leg, all the way down your right leg, which is the leg that I broke. And then you have a a, a metal rod bonded um, on between the two legs so that the legs can't move together in the cast. Um, It was, you had to cut the crotch out. So it was like, you know, so I wore, I I was in that for 13 weeks and I wore a robe when I would get out of the house, which was rare. And prior to that, I wanted to play football at 12 years old. And after (laughs) breaking my leg, I started thinking about like, I don't want to break another bone in my body ever again. Um, And I started to uh, watch basketball. This is 1982. And there was this guy that played for, I'm from Los, you know, I'm from Long Beach, um, you know, just outside of LA. And I had never watched basketball. I didn't really care about it. I want to be a football player. And I started to watch this guy, Magic Johnson. And uh, he was uh, captivating. Like I couldn't stop mm-hmm. watching him. He was, you know, like his personality. Uh, it was like, Every time he touched the ball, something would happen. And, you know, you could just feel the energy around him. And I wanted to be like that. And so I wanted to play basketball. And I started dreaming every day, every night while I was in that cast. When I get out, all I want to do is play basketball. I want to play basketball. I want to be Magic Johnson. And, um, you know, my father said to me, you know, um, 
And I was, you know, I was a good student up to that point. Um, but, you know, he's like, well, you want to play basketball, you just got to make sure you maintain your grades because, you know, you are going to be coming out and you're going to be behind a little bit. And he said, so, um, and I was right, I was right on the verge of leaving the little isolated private school I was in that I went to from first to eighth grade. And I was going to be going to a junior high um, after that. And so he just said, you got to keep your grades up. So for, you know, from 12 to about 17, when I graduated high school, all I did was study and play basketball. And it was uh, that, those two things. And I, I, you know, I dreamed about playing college basketball and professional basketball. And it really accelerated my thinking about what I could actually do, what I was capable of and what, you know, when I wanted something, what I would do to get it. And, um, I realized that, you know, looking back, that was, became the value of, you know, hard work and dedication and perseverance. Cause it was actually a lot of rehab, you know, you're 12 years old and you break your femur and, you know, and you know, you don't just immediately take the cast off and start walking. You, you kind of like, right. you know, I couldn't even put any pressure on it. And as an aside, I went into the, I had been out of my cast for about a week. I couldn't, you know, I'm on crutches and I, you know, I'm like just barely getting around. The, the left leg is like a enormous, like a Hulk leg. And then the right leg is this little bird leg, right? <laughs> I got to put muscle back on it. And my grandmother takes me to my favorite Mexican restaurant in Long Beach. She says, do you want to get ice cream? I'm like, I should have broke my leg a long time. I should have just been to my norm, right? So like, this is my, this is my time. So we go to Baskin and Robbins <laughs> and I'm standing there waiting on, uh, you know, to be, take my order. And I'm looking, which is one of these 31 delicious flavors I'm going to order. And maybe I'll get a triple. And uh, I'm standing there and behind me, some woman is mopping, right? She's just mopping the floor, you know, just kind of. And so I take a step back and the crutches spread out, straight back. And I'm oh, no. screaming, ah! You know, think I'm thinking. No. I broke the leg again. Uh, oh. I didn't. That oh was uh, all of that to say. That time helped me to see a really important. It was really important for me because it shaped a lot of what happened. Because I, 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 I like I said, I studied so hard and I became so focused and so obsessed that I, I pushed through. I got great grades. I got into UCLA. I actually, got offered a basketball scholarship out of high school to a small school here in SoCal, Azusa Pacific, but I didn't take advantage of that. I went to school uh, at UCLA and um, it helped me out quite a bit. Ask me the question again. It was, what what was it? Well, well, I mean, I'm afraid to ask what was your challenging memory because that one just blew me away. (laughs) What were a couple of your favorite memories? But I think that first one answers two questions. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was, I mean, it, it didn't, again, it didn't start out that way, but but, you know, in retrospect, you, you, lo- you learn and you look at things that, you know, felt like a dark cloud and yeah, I was able to make the most out of it. I mean, it's incredible. You're such an amazing storyteller. I have to tell you, you just you captivate me every time you go in. The couple of times that we've talked has just you've taken me on a ride. That's amazing. So thank you for that. That was awesome. Thank you. And I and I love how you reframe that experience because that could have destroyed a lot of kids. I mean, just from a mental health perspective, that can take kids under. That's a significant period of time to have to deal with something so life altering. So kudos to you and your family for getting through that successfully. On another note, what happened? We're in UCLA now. What's that looking like? How did that shape up for you? You decided against basketball, and then what what happened? How did that shape your professional career? 
I was the first person in my family to go to a major university. My father had some college, as did my mother. But, you know, I got into a big school. And I should also mention that I I wanted to go to UCLA because I had a big basketball program, right? So it was this big, important university that was, you know, was, had all this notoriety because of their basketball program. But uh, I entered into school and my father was in my ear and he was like, you know, you should be an attorney and then a judge and attorneys are, you know, it's a good job and judges have a lot of power and like, you know, and he would kept drilling that and I was like, oh, well, I'll be an attorney. You know, I, I, I say this with no um, negative impact on my parents as the first person in my family to kind of have that college experience in the way that I did. They didn't know much about college. They couldn't take me through their experiences. Right. It was only what I could get, they could gather from a couple conversations with the counselor and like, you know, and I don't fault them at all. It's like, my, you know, my first time being in a, in a school that size and there's a lot to learn, not just about, you know, school itself, about life and, and how to operate within the university and what career path to take. So, you know, for them, you know, my father and my grandmother, who my grandmother didn't have much schooling, it was a vocation that everybody had heard of, doctor, right. lawyer, accountant, right. right? So for me, it kind of made sense. So I, I started positioning myself for these pre-law courses, right? Like, so that I could be attracted to a law school, you know, a, a law school, so it's political science. That was my major. I got a couple of years into it. I wasn't really, like, after working that hard in high school and getting myself into college, I really, I wasn't into school, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't apply myself. I wasn't excited about it. I didn't understand it. I was intimidated by it. It was these big classes, and I just was kind of floundering. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was close to academic probation, and I lacked confidence, actually, intellectually, intellectually speaking, in, in, in some of these courses. And so as I got a little further in school, I realized, it's like, okay, okay, I got to pull it up, whatever it is. I got to figure this out. And... I just started pushing through my doubt. And then I said, okay, well, if I'm going to be an attorney, I better get, you know, my grades are going to have to be better to apply to a law school that, that matters. And, but I said, let me figure out what an attorney does. So I went into the Career Guidance Center and I met with the counselor there, started asking questions, started looking into what attorneys do. And I was like, oh, this is what attorneys do. <laughs> I, I would never be any good at that at all. <laughs> This is gonna. This is gonna go terribly. I'm so. I'm so glad. I, I'm so glad that I, I asked this question now because it would have been an attorney at like a strip mall somewhere. Inside out. Yeah. I started wondering what I really. You know, I started checking out what I was really. What I felt like I was good at, or what I was passionate about. Moreover, and it was film and TV. I grew up as an only child. I watched a lot of TV growing up. You know, with sports, books. And TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an only child, it was my company. It was soothing to me to watch an I Love Lucy or a Good Times episode or the Jeffersons or Gomer Pyle. Or, you know, it, it just made me, it just made me feel really safe. And it's funny, even today when I travel, I travel with my iPad and before TV was actually really accessible, like it is like, you know, streaming and mm-hmm. I would make sure that I had, you know, you know, a device set up in my home so that I could watch my TV at home. Because oftentimes I, you know, I'd be out of either out of state or out of the country for right. work, 
and I'd be alone. And so I'd turn on the iPad and I'd catch like an old episode of this or that. And it would just make me feel so like cocooned. Yeah. But I filled out this questionnaire and everything indicated that I was into film and TV. So I got an internship. I pursued an internship and got an internship with a really successful producer and got my eyes open to the world of entertainment and being in entertainment. And as I was doing that, I was sort of thinking about the music business. Mm -hmm. I love music and, or, you know, I, I love music and I always have. And I got a taste of that while I was on campus. I did, you know, I did some concerts or, you know, promoted some concerts, brought some people to campus and worked at the cultural affairs office and booked some, some musicians for the campus. And I was like, I like music, but I don't like the music business. <laughs> I don't like anything about the music business. So um, I, I gravitate towards film and TV. And as I said, you know, I, I got an internship for about two and a half years with oh. this producer and um, he was really successful. And I thought if I could be that person, right? His name is Larry Gordon or is Larry Gordon. If I could be that person, the kind of hopes and dreams of my parents and you know they're thinking about what, what I was going to make of myself after college would not be so much in question right because I think at the end of the day they wanted me to taste success and, and make something of my college experience and my college degree to me that meant money right being financially successful and you know when I got out of college I, I realized it wasn't just about money but right Larry was really successful and I thought if I could be him they'd never wonder about what my college degree meant that makes sense. This is a tough question because it's a big question, but you shared a story with us previously about how you navigated Hollywood as a black man. So I'm hoping you can give us an overview of what that was like for you because it was really powerful. I started in 93. So the business was, um, it looked a lot different, but there were some similarities. You know, I, I mentioned music. I was a big fan of hip hop and because it was burgeoning as a worldwide kind of experience, right? It was a worldwide art form. And, and that cultural explosion was kind of grabbing Hollywood by the lapels. And so you had the, the doors open for people like Will Smith and Queen Latifah and Ice Cube and uh, Mark Wahlberg. And also some of the people that were the acolytes or the people that supported that world, the music video directors, right? And some of the, the Russell Simmons of the world and, you know, people who inhabited that world. And so I entered into the business where at, at a time when the, the doors opened for non-traditional artists and non-traditional people. We came, people came from non-traditional places. And also there was this sort of technological evolution that was going on in that there was software and editing equipment so that if you weren't you know, you didn't have a camera. The cameras went from this big to this big. And if you didn't have, if you weren't in Hollywood, you could actually make a film, right? And edit it yourself. And short films became all the, they became the calling cards for lots of people. And so there was this, like, now it's called a diversity movement, right? But before mm -hmm. then it was like urban, right? That was the yeah. phrase. And so I was excited when I started. Um, I started working at um, United Talent Agency. And um, I was the only, I think, one of two people of color in the entire agency. And it's not a small agency. And of course, I noticed it. Of course, I was aware of it. Of course, it was um, striking to me. But, uh, you know, I was, I'm, I'm used to challenges and I was, ready, I was up for the challenge. You know, I didn't realize uh, what I didn't know. I don't think that the agency was racist. 
um, like overtly racist. I think it was uh, culturally blind. Um, it was not asking the right questions, not being as, a, as, an, as, a, as an organization, they weren't asking the right questions. They weren't attuned to differences. And, you know, I had some really tough experiences. And, you know, I was 22 years old when I started. So I didn't know anything anyway. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't know a lot about the world. But then you add, you throw being black into the mix into an agency that's 99% white. Uh-huh. At some point, I was... White? I, I, as I said, I entered the agency thinking, okay, I want to be a producer. This is the first stop in that, on that path to becoming a producer. I will sleep here if I have to. I will work day and night to move ahead. What happened is I literally wound up sleeping there. <laughs> I was so depressed. Like whenever I died in the agency somewhere, I would like, I couldn't activate. I couldn't, I had no passion to be there. So I would go sleep in a, like a little, uh, one of the spare offices for like 30 minutes and just hide out because I hated it there. I didn't like the surroundings. I didn't like the feeling I got being there. You know, uh, as things go, I was 22 years old. I thought I was in love. I thought I was like, I found the love of my life at 22 and the girl that was with dumped me. And uh, <laughs> I then had to really ask myself, what am I here for? And I, I think that's sort of the key to, you know, somebody told me the key to excellence is asking yourself hard questions. And so I always ask myself hard questions. And I, I was like, well, what? I'm here to make money, right? Like down the line somewhere. I'm going to make money. And I don't, I don't think I could have been, I, I at the time I didn't believe I could be a, an agent there. There wasn't one black agent who had any level of success there. I couldn't look and be like, Oh, I want to be like that person. Right. So I started thinking about well, what makes me happy. What, what would I get out of bed for every day, no matter what? And right. I thought, you know what, maybe I'd be a manager. I was getting exposed to managers how they did business, their style of business. And I saw good ones and I saw bad ones or, or experienced them. The good ones were really easy to recognize. They were there to add value. They were strategic. They didn't just call agents to say, what are you doing? And for looking for help. They actually were in partnership with their client, a force, value add. I remember thinking, this corporate structure is not going to work for me as a black man. It's not, it's not going to happen. I'm too honest about how I feel. I don't know how to navigate these politics with the agency. The politics that I grew up in in East Long Beach was you got a problem, you confront it, you speak on it, right? You don't, um, that's called being real, right? You know, um, I've since learned there's a, there's a way to be real and not say everything that's on your mind. I thought maybe I should go and be, be in a position where I could actually not be worried about a corporate structure and be myself and let people like me for myself, not what I, not how I fit into a bigger picture. Right. right. And there was a lot of twists and turns. And, you know, uh, many years later, I found the company that wow. I'm, you know, with now it's been 20 years. And to put a fine point on your question, it led me to push and explore and check and, you know, move around in such a way I found a place where I could be comfortable, right? Where I could actually be myself and let my flaws and my mistakes and what I'm good at really shine through. That's amazing. 
That's really amazing. And for the record, I'm still trying to learn how to not say everything that comes through my brain. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard, right? It, it is It is difficult. Sometimes, though, I just say, uh, okay, that's what you think? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and some people just aren't interested in the truth, so. That's, well, I've had, to learn, I've had to learn that as well. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how America is kind of going through a reawakening of sorts and, uh, well, you know, a pandemic, and yet there's an epidemic <laughs> within the pandemic. And I'm just wondering how you are navigating that and what your thoughts are. We just had a huge election. Mm-hmm. You know, Black lives seem to matter off and on, depending on who you speak with. What's your perspective? I'm just trying to be grateful. I had this, I, I, I told a lot of people around me that if, if, 45, I don't amplify his name, but yeah, me too. If he, he were to, if, if, he, if he were to have won the election, I was moving out of the country and um, maybe never coming back, who knows? You know, that, that really loomed in my head. I think it really started after Ahmaud Arbery was murdered. Um, I started seeing this country and then I, I thought, you know, we think this year is bad now. Let, let him get elected again and then we'll yeah. see how bad it can really get. And then as we got closer to the election, I sort of backed off. I was uncertain what I was like, if, I, if that was actually what, the thing I was going to do, because this is my home, you know, for better or for worse. This is where my family is, my friends, this is where my community is. Community is far more important than what, what's going on around the world, actually. There's problems everywhere. Um, I think my decision, my, my thinking about leaving was like, it's sort of the beginning of the end if he... And, and I, I just pride myself on, you know, make, you know, seeing the, the bend before it actually comes. Mm-hmm. But I, I've tried to really be grateful because there are people living a lot worse than I am. Yeah. Uh, there are Definitely. people that are going through a lot tougher times than I am. I sit in front of a computer screen or on a phone six or seven days a week. And as taxing as that can be, there's a lot of other things that I could be doing that are far um, harder uh, and more taxing on the soul. So I've navigated by trying to appreciate the people around me, the things around me, the life that I have a a lot more. I've worked worked really hard this year. I promised myself that I wasn't going to take my foot off the gas because there was a pandemic or because things were gloomy or it was hard. The days were hard and just the, the news was depressing and, um, you know, and, and really try to steer myself towards um, good things. And it, it's amazing. Like, honestly, like I, I, what I, there was a point in time, I think it was like early, you know, right before summer hit. And I was, I was so, you know, I was like, I had to like really focus in on not being negative. And I was like, oh, it's social media that's making me feel like this. (laughs) All the negativity that you can experience and that people film with their cameras and camera phones and want to post. And you you think people who are have these big followings and these celebrities are people that uh, are, you know, this is the the knowledge from on high. It's not actually. It is um, oftentimes filtered and almost every time filtered through whatever, however they see the world. And I want to see the world through my eyes. That's why I've been really good at, but been a secret to my success is like not doing what everybody else is doing. And so, you know, I, I've tried to focus on the fact that we all need each other. And I, I said to a few friends of mine, like, if you can't figure out that we all need each other during a pandemic, right? when restaurants, businesses, 
industries are shutting down because people can't actually gather together. They can't be around each other. We all need each other very badly. We all need each other to sustain. And we all need to treat each other with great importance. It's amazing, Brian. That's excellent. I'm going to let Susie take over with a few questions. I, I just want to say that I, and I, I'm sure JD is too, I'm just like living in your experience and I'm just so appreciating mm-hmm. your truth and your perspective in the way that you do see mm-hmm. your world and the world around you. So with that, I want to ask you kind of an obvious question having you here. Blackish is a huge hit. Why? Why do you think that people, and you're the executive producer mm-hmm. and- You've been involved with this probably from the, it might've even been your idea. No. So, okay. Okay. From from the very beginning, why do you think people are just so in love with this show? If you go to a a museum and you see a piece of art, it, you you can, you know, you look at it and it kind of grabs your attention because you don't know quite what to make of it, but you're like, it's enlightening in some way, shape or form. Right. I think about that's the secret to any good television show or movie. And, you know, I also think that, so, so I think we have that going for us. I think that what happened with Blackish is that we, the, the creators and, you know, my client Kenya and, you know, Anthony and Tracy and Lawrence and the, you know, the performers and the cast and the crew, they brought, they bring something to the show, which kind of, raises, you know, raises a conversation, right? Causes a conversation to happen where people think about things that they wouldn't ordinarily be thinking about or talk about things that they wouldn't be talking about. And that's the the beauty of diverse diversity. You know, it, it, it reminds me of like going to the first time I went to an Indonesian restaurant. I was like, well, this feels really good, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, or, uh, you know, experience something I would have never experienced and, and how you know, refreshing that can be. And I think that we came along at the right time. Um, I think we asked, the, we, we, we raised the right questions and the right issues. We did so in a way that wasn't didactic or preachy and, you know, saying this is what you should be. You know, oftentimes if you look at our episodes, we kind of unearth certain things and, you know, there's definitely a point of view. Right. It's not like we sit on the sidelines and say, well, we, we don't care what you think. Well, there's a point of view. But at the end of it, you're kind of left on your own to kind of make your own judgment after we brought it up. Right. And I think that that the fact that there is not a heavy handed nature to the show. And then the other thing is, it's funny. Right. You're able to digest it a lot easier because you're laughing. And if you're laughing, your mouth's open. Right? So you're ready to be fed. <laughs> That's great. And, and I, I think that um, we, we've fed people information that made them made them feel a little closer to this black family the most sincere and the most common comment that i get about the show is i watch it with my family right i, I and and if they're a non-black family oh the family like reminds me so much of my family and you know the thing that is apparent is that the more specific you are sometimes um, in telling a story, the more broadly you appeal to people because underneath that, we're all the same. You know, we have, we have tendencies and characteristics. We care across cultures, across state lines and geopolitical application. We, we all kind of care about the same thing at the end of the day. We all want, you know, to live healthy, happy lives. 
and um, we all have challenges. And at the core of Blackish is kind of like when the, in the pilot there was, you know, what we talked a lot about, you know, Kenya did such a good job with is that he, what, what he saw in his family was, you know, his descendants, his kids. And he was like, these are watered down versions of me. Like, did I do, <laughs> did I not raise these kids the right way? Right. But like, you know, your, your, your successors, your, your, you know, the, your, the next generation, every generation's felt that way about the, the following generation that, that, that followed them. Right. And they, they all wonder about them. Right. But that's growth. That's yeah. expansion. That's learning. And, so we hit some universal elements and we kept hitting those over and over again, whether we really knew it or not. Yeah. And we wound up speaking to a lot of people. And there was a talented writing uh, staff that was able to execute those concepts over and over again and, and spoke to people really loudly. It's genius. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is. And you know, it also speaks to what you were saying about community and about connection. And by keeping the story in a linear way, it really expands and everyone can see ways that they can locate themselves and their own experience. You know, you said something that I really loved, which is, you know, Brian and I know each other from when I was a television agent and he was a manager. Mm -hmm. And my MO was always to put something on the air that wasn't there. I was always like, what is not on the air? What can I do? So I'm wondering for you now, with all that you're doing, how do you ensure that there is diversity in Hollywood and in the shows that you're now creating and producing and the talent that you choose to represent? Well, you know, look, I'm not creating many shows. It's not my role. Um, The things that I get involved with um, as a producer or, you know, or the people that I'm managing, what I'm looking for is distinction. I'm looking for people who are um, authentic. It's kind of an overused word these days, but... Um, it, it really applies. People who are kind of being themselves, not trying to be somebody else, you know, stealing or, or borrowing or um, being so influenced by, and of course, we all get influenced by, we, there's people that we look up to and people we, we aspire to, but, you know, you, what you're, what, you know, as an artist, what you want is to find that thing that, you know, the, the, the part of you that you really feel good about every day, that you you can look yourself in the mirror and you have integrity behind every day. And mm-hmm. so part of my job is mm-hmm. when I come across these people, these individuals, these artists, is to protect that and guide them towards the people and the projects that will allow them to, to amplify that, right? And And those things that, allow people to see that genuine, the thing that I saw in them to begin with. And, you know, I, back to my agency days, one of the things, one of the problems that I had was, I I think I told you the story, there was a director, music video director, who directed really great music uh, video, hip hop music video. It was different than everything else that was on the air at that time. It was like, like I said, the early days of like music videos for hip hop, and when everybody was like tuned in to what's the, what's the music video look like. And UTA represented this director. Um, he wasn't a name, but he was talented, I thought, and he had a he had a style and a look and a, a you know a, a kind of signature. And I remember coming across the the his demo reel, and I was like. 
I, you guys represent this person. You, you, you represent this director, and I'm like, look at who represents him. Who's the who's the agent in charge? And, and I, I he spoke to me, right? It, it was he was part of my world. And one of the things that I knew then, and I know more now, is that when it comes to representing artists, people, you know, like the, the, the community that you're trying to present to doesn't really know. They think they know. You know, they buy certain things and they, you know, there's certain things that right. they want, but, you know, the, 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 they don't really know what's great oftentimes. They have to be convinced or shown or presented right. things and they have to be able to see, uh, oh, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, that's where I come in. That's my job, right? Particularly with people who look like me and come from the places that I come from because they speak to me in a way that they might not speak to uh, another executive from a different place. So it's my job to translate what I see for them. And sometimes it's not even about what I can say, it's what I can do, how I can present them, how I can, what, what, what project can I put them in? What, what am I seeking out for them? What is, what's the path for them? Right. And so then they all of a sudden they get they show up in a way that like, oh, it's undeniable. But I have to feel it. And so when we talk about, you know, um, me and how I support it, it's like it's giving voice to the voiceless, giving, you know, light to people who are in the dark. And that's the real mm -hmm. fun of my job. You know, I mm -hmm. I tell people I wake up every day. I don't wake up every day for people to tell me yes. I wake up every day for somebody to tell me no, right? So that's what gets me going. People who, my, my friends who know me, I, wor I, I work it. with an edge. I work with a chip on my shoulder for better or for worse, right? I work to prove people wrong. That's the fun of the job. It so is. And I remember, you know, as an agent getting no, 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 no all the time. I was like, no became my favorite word. It was like, oh, no, not there. That means I need to go knock on the door next door and I'll keep, I'll keep knocking yep. and knocking and knocking because eventually it just takes one person yeah. to feel it the way that you feel your artists and your your yeah, somebody, somebody said, well, you just like to be right. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but yeah. that, that's not the yeah. valid. The validation is, you know, I, I talk a lot about the film and TV business. It is a business of dreams. It is, it's not, it, it's actually like, it, like film and TV is actually not real. So to help somebody to carve out a career in a world of make-believe and sustain themselves and to, to, to be on a big stage that's a real honor, right? Like that's a precious thing that I'm charged with. And to have that responsibility is a great responsibility. I remember I, there, there was a time in my life where, uh, you know, if you move around the country enough, uh, you know, or other places, people have this impression of Hollywood, particularly in New York, right? So people say, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm in entertainment. You know, I kind of, I would demure a little bit because I didn't want, you know, because there's a, there's a certain set of people who wear it on their sleeve. Like, I'm in, I'm in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm a manager. <laughs> right. I never wanted to be that corny. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so I would hide from it. But then, and then you hear people say, well, you're not curing cancer. And think, no, you're not. But, but what you are doing, right? Like when you represent artists, you are inspiring people to cure cancer, right? Yes. You are, you are, you know, yes. you are working with people who inspire change. 
So that's a big responsibility. That's a that's an important role. So I don't I don't hide from it anymore. I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly not the one that's like, look at me. I do what what I do is more important than you. But I I, I have I have um, learned that what when my career path is providing something important to society. That's great. Artists are important to society, and they 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 play a big role in changing things. I'll tell you, we, we could clearly talk to you for hours. I just love listening to you and I get lost in it. But as we're winding down, Susie, which ones do you want to finalize here with Brian? Okay, I want to play my favorite game, which is just word association. Oh boy. Okay, so I'm going to ask you four words, uh-huh. we'll do it one at a time, and you're just going to give us a one word response. Okay. Okay. All right. First one, change. Love. I love it. Yeah. Power. People. Could I love you anymore? Privilege. Right? Right? Privilege. Dangerous. Ooh. Ooh, that's That's a good one. That's great. And media. Questionable. (laughs) (laughs) Questionable. Love it. Okay, JD, you take us home. All right, Brian, first of all, I'm now a huge fan of yours. I feel very honored to have met you and just hear from you and the pearls you offer are worth a million dollars. I so appreciate it. I have one final question for you before we sign off. If you could do one thing to change the world, what would it be? Um, well, I, you know, I, I think I would say I would, I would want to make sure everybody's educated. I love that. Educate the world. I love that. Um, because I think a lot of the things that are going on in the, a lot of the problems in our, particular our country, in the world is because people are um, uneducated. They, they're getting their truth from, you know, you mentioned, we talked about media, right? I don't know that CNN is sometimes any better than Fox in some certain cases. I think Fox lies a lot, though. (laughs) Maybe very clear. (laughs) But I think that, you know, if you are, if you're seeking knowledge and, 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 you know, you're taught that that's an important asset, right? And being educated is an important part of being a member of society. You will be less of a threat. You will respect people. You will respect your world. You will respect... Um, your environment, you'll respect animals, right? You will have, uh, you, you will, you know, think of your, your place in this world as very limited, but also important. And so I think that a lot of the problems that I see today is because people don't, they're not, they, they, they haven't learned, they, they don't understand their place in the world, right? They're not, they don't have self-esteem. You know, when you're educated and when you're seeking knowledge, that's where, that's where I think a lot of self-esteem comes from, right? Because you realize that I might not be the strongest, I might not be the best looking, but I, got a, I, have, a, I have a mind that's functional, right? And I can discern good and bad and truths and positive versus negative in the world. I'm not threatened by unforeseen forces. I'm not threatened because your skin is black. I'm not threatened because you have an accent. I'm not, I don't feel better about myself because I have a bigger home or a bigger car or a bigger bank account. Mm-hmm. And so I think that our problems in American society today are really based on just straight up ignorance. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. And it, 
completely accurate. The whole idea of a lack of access narrows your perspective. So, so well said. I don't need to say anything else, but belated happy birthday. Uh, thank and you. Uh, thank yeah, you so much yes. for coming on with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you both. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, great. Um, wish you success. Thank, thank you, Sarah. You. Appreciate it. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.